Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. So we do have a lot of stuff to talk about today on the show. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of it is going to make all you Predators fans feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, four straight losses. We'll discuss. We've got uh, <laughs> top prize prospects being given away to Western Conference rivals. We will discuss. Um, we've got Predators, technical Predators employees and fans getting into it in the Twitter sewers for no reason really at all. Or maybe that's the point of the Twitter sewers. I don't know. Uh, Bill Haslam, of course, is with David Poyle meeting with NHL executive committees at the governor's meetings. So Poyle has not had a chance to talk about Ellie Tolvanen. So we're going to talk about him <laughs> today on the show. Uh, there are some records that are interesting and positive. So we'll talk about Roman Yossi uh, and, of course, Alexander Ovechkin. So a lot of stuff to do on the show. We'll dive into the pace of scoring. It is astonishing what how much fun, Michael, and how much and how interesting and how good some of these players were last year for this team and how, how much it made this team fun to watch and how the complete opposite is now happening for the Nashville Predators. So a lot of stuff to do. Make sure you pay for good journalism support, good local independent media. That is, of course, 440. Check out all of our other shows. Uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe to all the pods. We do appreciate it. It's all your fault pod from the Nashville scene in the post, of course, with you, Michael and Jeremy K. Gover. And, of course, read all of Michael's work at the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. All the other great reporters for the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. Again, support local business because the gold standard is brought to you by... Jaspers. A local business. With now, good food. you have claimed in the past, you're a writer, you're, you're, you're a, a person who tells stories. You have claimed that you think you should go to Jasper's more often so that you can better explain how wonderful it is to our audience. Now, I've been many times. I've been <laughs> thousands of times, thousands of times, Michael, thousands. I'm not even sure they've been around 1,000 days yet, but I've, I've gone a 1,000 times. You can go multiple times per day. How many times have we been yet? Have we gone back yet? Have we gone back to visit the wonderful and amazing establishment that is Jasper's on West End with free parking and great food and great drink specials? I haven't been back yet, but it is in the plans. I It's gotten a little bit harder since the wife and I have moved to Hendersonville. But going, being downtown, going to yeah, Preds yeah. games, covering Titans and stuff, it's something that is up on my priority list because I, 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 I enjoy being able to lend authenticity to stuff I'm reviewing and I'm talking about. And being to Jasper's just once, that was, that was a three-month-long process to get me there just once. But <laughs> I, I will go back. I will try. My wife and I will sample more of the menu. That was the first thing she said to me after we went was she was like, that was good. But there were like three or four other things that I wanted to try that I really wish I could have. Um, I really want to try a couple of the flatbreads that I saw in the menu. So oh, we're, cool. we're definitely we're going back and we're going to we have a few things we're going to start knocking off the list that we're going to try so we can explain how, how good some of the, these items are. So let me ask you a question. Um, it, it, if you were putting taking off your intrepid reporter hat. And you're putting on your national. I need to get that put on my business card, intrepid reporter. <laughs> you probably should actually, and just that's it, nothing else, just intrepid reporter, <laughs> and then the Twitter, the Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, I know if you're going back, let me ask you this. Obviously, you've been with the wife. Now, if you could go as a Predators fan, are you? Do you want to go for the ten dollars smash burger and the three dollar beers, and because they're going to help you get through a Predators game? <laughs> Which which is increasingly more difficult by the day, 
do you want to go for lunch? Do you want to go on the weekend with the wife? That's that has nothing to do with sports. Like, give me your you're a Predators fan. You're not a reporter. You're a Predators fan, and you're going to go to Jasper's. What is what like happy hour after work, lunch, wife, date, or buddies, or during a game with all the drink specials, ordering a gold gold standard cocktail, by the way, named after the show that other podcasters, by the way, I've discovered on the 440 Sports Network are very jealous of. I've heard this week. Sources are saying there's one particular host on the network that's very upset that he doesn't have a cocktail named after him yet. His pod. So <laughs> how how would you go? Uh, I will say the the one time the wife and I went, we did go on the weekend and it was a very enjoyable experience. I think we went, it was like around brunch time, I think. Um, but if I think if I'm if I'm a Predators fan and I'm going to Jasper's, I'm probably going when they have the the drink specials and the ten dollar smash burgers. You're, you're getting discounted food, but it's still really good food. Like it's not being discounted because it's just crappy bar food. You get to be around other Predators fans. You're in the sports bar atmosphere. It's better than watching the game at home by yourself. So. And if they lose, you know what? You can get drunk on very little little money. You can have the wife drive you home. You can take an Uber or whatever. I think you can. It's a good way to probably go and spend thirty or forty dollars, depending on how many how much you drink during Preds games. I would I would say come to Jasper's. It's better than watching it at home. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want to be line. that guy at home getting drunk alone watching the Predators get smoked by the Edmonton Oilers. No, I would go to get smashed. I'd just go get smashed. Like, I don't even... I, don't, I can't remember the title. Get smashed with a smash burger. <laughs> I have not even... I don't think... I can't remember the last time I got, dr- like, drunk drunk. You know what I mean? Like, really drunk. I can't remember. I'm 40 years old. I shouldn't. I have two kids. It's not something I do regularly. It's been a very long time. Um, it, but, like, I would just go get hammered. I would just go... I would just go get hammered. And you know what I wouldn't do? You could do it on less than 20 bucks. <laughs> you could do it on less than 20 bucks. And I would... I certainly would take a ride home unlike one particular coordinator in this town. Either way. <laughs> can't believe can't believe we got can't believe we got some uh <laughs> Todd Downing slander onto a Predators podcast. Um but yes, go to Jasper's, drink a bunch of beer, watch the Predators team because they make you drink more beer. They'll give you cheap beer and then you take a ride home and let someone else drive for you. Okay? Todd Downing is the Kevin McCarthy of the Tennessee Titans. Oh wow. Okay. Uh all right. So let's get into this man, four straight losses. Yes, I know they got a point from St. Louis. Um, Tampa on the road. Since we were last with you guys, Tampa on the road, 5-2 destruction. Ottawa, 3-2, one goal game, of course. Um, Monday, of course, against St. Louis, they lose in overtime. Nothing, nothing going into overtime. So an offensive explosion there from two of the best offenses in in the world. Um, And then Tuesday, Edmonton, you see what a real offense looks like. And one of the things that was most frustrating to me, and we're going to get into like how Twitter is treating Predators employees and interviews and Dan Hynote and, you know, John Hines. And there's just, there's just not a lot of answers right now from these guys that are, that are satisfying to the, to the Preds fan base. The solution to that is to just stop doing interviews <laughs> mid game. That would just wipe out all of this. We'll get, to, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But w- one of the things that drove me just in like, and John Hines said it after the game where he's just like, yeah, we can't take, we can't take, they basically, they all said this in some shape or form, which is, you know, the power play has got to be better. I think Roman Yossi said it's killing us, which is all, which is great to hear him just be honest about it. Um, but like, you, you know, you're going up against the team, A, that owns you historically. I think Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid are the two highest scoring players per game against the National Predators of all time. And they're dominant against you. Dreisaitl, I think, has 20 goals, 20 goals in 10 games. They have one of the best power plays in the entire league. You have one of the worst power plays in the entire league. You, you Certainly, there were some bad calls in that game. 
that went both ways. I'm okay with that. But you cannot take a penalty after you've scrapped and clawed your way into the game to get back into the game multiple times with one goal deficits in the final minute of a period against the Edmonton Oilers. You can't do it. And they did it twice, and they gave up two power play goals. I'm pretty sure that Leon Dreisaitl goal, Michael, is the exact same goal I've seen from the Edmonton Oil power play against Nashville for two years, three years now. I mean, it looks it looks like yeah. it's it's the identical goal, tic-tac-toe, cross-ice, Dreisaitl backside, buries it, no chance. And it's just the same stinking thing every single broke. time. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean... <laughs> Connor, Connor McDavid had he averages 1.72 points per game against the Predators. Dry Seidel 1.59 oh. points per game against the Predators. They are the two, they're the two biggest predator killers right now. It's 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 amazing that it's kind of like what what people were saying a few weeks ago with the Titans and Derrick Henry. Like you know what's coming and you still can't stop it. Like it's the same thing with the Oilers power play. And even even if it's just five on five, Dry Seidel. And McDavid are just so dominant, and especially against a team that's throwing Kevin Gravel out there and, and Roland McCone and Jordan Gross. Like you're, you are going to have a hard time stopping them with Ryan McDonough and Jeremy Lozon and Alex Carrier healthy. Now you're doing it with basically half of your half of your defense and, and three AHL defensemen. Like there was no way that game was going to turn out well for the Predators last night, and the same thing's probably going to happen next Monday too. Well, and now they're going to play like every other every other night for the next couple of weeks. So they're going to have a pretty tight schedule. Um, the NHL is such a fascinating league because you can you can get on here and do these shows, and one week you can say to yourself, "All right, they're they, you know they've won, you know, eight out of eleven and nine out of twelve, and okay, they're seven three and two, and and you can kind of say, "All right, this big stretch is good," and then you look at a smaller window, and you can say, "All right, since November seventeenth, that's a month." They the Nashville Predators have one regulation win in a month of hockey. Now I know they had two little stretches where they didn't play, so it's not as many games. But this stretch where they supposedly have won some of their games <laughs> this year, they have one regulation win. One time. I think that was against the Islanders. And it's when they actually got a couple of power play goals. Uh, and so listen, the defense injuries are going to be a huge key. I'm going to get to the scoring here in a second, but the defense injuries are key. And I know you guys talked about it. It's all your fault, but with Lozon, Carrie and McDonough now out, you're, you're grasping at straws The I know you're working on some stuff about the, the prospect pipeline. And we'll get to that a little bit later. I actually thought Jordan gross had some interesting moments on offense against Edmonton. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be super critical of the broadcast here, but I thought the broadcast just totally made an excuse for for Jordan Gross when when Drysaddle went just right on past him, and and Lakenin should have stopped that goal. I get it, Drysaddle's special. He's a special player with a special shot, but you can't just have a guy. And McDavid's goals too. Like you can't just have guys just skate right through your defense and then just throw it on net in the middle of the net. It's not even like top shelf nasty wrist shots to the top corner where it's just impossible to stop. They're just like throwing it in the middle of the net and. He just th- th- these guys just went right through him, and it's. Just, I know they're the best in the world. I, I know this is not a great Predators team, but like, th- 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 what? I'm I'm running out of words here, man. Literally, literally, yeah. I'm out of words. It's it's almost too easy to sit there and be like, oh, well, Leon Drysaddle does that to everybody. Connor McDavid does that to everybody, and and you can yes, the the broadcast did kind of make some excuses a little bit last night, and not excusing that. It, and, and look, Jordan Gross, I think, offers more upside offensively than he does defensively. And if you look at the numbers and granted, it's a small sample size, throw that out there. Cause there was someone on Twitter chirping at me because 
I, I pointed out facts from the four games that Jordan Gross and Roman Yossi played together. He's like, you're picking on him because he's only played four games. I'm like, I'm only putting out the numbers that are available to me. But in the games that the Roman Yossi and Jordan Gross have been paired together, they have allowed the second most goals of any Preds defensive pairing this season. Over the, the four-game losing streak, they're allowing 3.75 goals per game. The save percentages in these games have been 861, 958, which is the outlier, 909, and 848. That's a combined save percentage that I think is like 894. The defense is the, the goaltending has been subpar, but the defense, and, it, and it's hard to to pick on them because you're you're rolling out Kevin Gravel, Roland McCone, and, and Jordan Gross out there with Roman Yossi, Dante Fabro, and Matias Eckholm. And it's like you yeah. you expect this to happen. But I think the thing that Predators fans too. But 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 hang on. The the expect this to happen thing. How how much longer are we okay with that? I mean, that, that's where I'm at with this. Oh, I don't like, think you're okay with it now. I, I think this is this is poor planning and poor roster construction by John Hines and David Poyle. And this is the ultimately the underlying issue is the team is struggling right now because they, they don't have the horses to keep up when they are injured. And you look at great teams like Colorado. Colorado didn't have this problem last year. Colorado was very deep. Tampa Bay, very deep. You look at these teams that plan for this stuff. The Predators have failed to do so because I think they just thought – if we put a team out there on paper that looks good and we start winning some games, like the fans will start to like us again. Well, you lose half of your defense to injuries. You've lost a couple forwards here and there. You just gave away your, your former first round pick. Like the roster construction with this team is the thing that's, that's chapping a lot of fans right now. And and I think when you look at it, it's going to be like this for the, for the, for the entirety of the regular season, because you start, if you win two games and you lose five, you trade wins and losses here or there. You get on a three-game win streak, and you tell the fans, like, oh, hey, things are getting better. You trade wins right. and losses, a three-game win streak, and now a four-game losing streak. Like, it's 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 a roller coaster. It's you're going high, and you're going low. And, and I get it. The defense looks really bad right now. And it honestly, it just kind of depends on how long Alex Carey and Ryan McDonough are out. If they're both out for, I would say, right. two weeks or more, this is going to get ugly really quickly. If you can get them back kind of quickly, you can maybe try to salvage the season. But is it, is it worth salvaging at this point? Well, I, so oh, I think <laughs> I think next week on the pod, we'll, we'll we. So here's what I feel like is happening with this. Like every like six months, I feel like we are stepping up to the ledge. And then somehow, some way, something happens that brings us back from the ledge and gives us all hope. And now I'm talking like as a fan almost. I'm talking through the through the through the voice of a fan. Like I felt like we were inching towards blowing it up in March of the pandemic. Okay, doesn't happen. Herd line saves them. They make the playoffs. Then it's the off season. Then you trade some pieces, and then some things start to work, and you kind of play pretty decent. Uh, well, okay. Then you lose to Arizona on the last day of the like with the last second goal that makes you play Colorado. And then you play Colorado, you get run out of the building without UC Saros. You're back on you're back next to the ledge. Okay, well, you, you make some moves that people like. Okay, now you're back away from the ledge. I feel like there's this game of of you're walking up to it, and then the predators do something good, just enough to keep everybody from falling off the cliff. <laughs> Great and, metaphor for David Poyle's career as a general manager. <laughs> Well, I think I think it's a great metaphor for the last couple of years. I'm not going to I don't want to discount all the stuff he did before that. I'm not there. I know in the moment it's easy to do that. But I think in the last couple of years, there's been this like, OK, well, we're we're stepping up to the edge of the cliff. We're going to fire Peter Laviolette. OK, now we're away from the edge of the cliff. Like it just there. It's this constant like towing the line here. And 
to, to we talked last week about ownership differences and and what the Titans were willing to do. Amy Adams Strunk as a singular voice, willing to move on a very successful general manager, John Robinson, to try to shoot for a smaller bullseye to make the franchise better and compete for Super Bowls. That's the move. It's a risky move. But and, and part of the reason that they're doing that is that fans are not excited about the product that they are consuming. This is an entertainment business. You are in the business of entertainment. People spend money on tickets and merch and gear and time and energy to consume your entertainment. Titans are dealing with defensive injuries. Titans are dealing with offensive inequities. Titans are dealing with the same exact problems the Predators are. The difference is the Predators' best players are still on the team. (laughs) The the, the Predators' best players are Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi, Ryan Johansson, Ryan McDonough is making almost $7 million. Like These are the most expensive best players on the team. And if you are going to be... like A.J. Brown's not on the Titans anymore. <laughs> like they, Their product is tough to watch because of injuries and trades. It, they got rid of those pieces. Again, that's why John Robinson's fired. But when you look at the Preds, and if you look at the goal-scoring paces... The, just the product, what made last year fun was the scoring, was the, the the record chasing, right? For Yossi and for Forsberg and Duchesne. And it made it interesting and fun to consume as an entertainment product. Roman Yossi, Yossi is great. We'll get to him at the end. He's had moments of brilliance. He always will. He always has been. He's on pace for 69 points. That's almost 30 points fewer than last year. For an average defenseman, that's really good. <laughs> right. And again, I'm not saying the problems on this team are Roman Yossi's fault. I'm just saying 96 points versus 69 points. Nice, by the way. Um, total difference. Tanner Janot has not scored a goal and has two total points since October 27th. 18 games. He scored two points, zero goals. He scored 26 last year. He's on pace for nine this year. Rookie of the year. Where have you been? And again, not saying it's one of these persons' fault that the team is where they are. They're actually, you know, in a in a wild card chase here. But I'm talking about the entertainment value of your product. Matt Duchesne on pace for 18 goals. <laughs> he, he scored 43 last year. That's less than a half. Philip Forsberg is on pace for 24 goals. He had 42 last year. Th- that trio was on pace. They scored 111 goals last year. They're on pace for 51 this year, less than half of their production last year. The power play, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum. I think they're, I think they're what, like over like their last 14 or something, uh, maybe 15. They've never scored a five on three goal this year. Hines is changing the lineup against Edmonton. You cannot have a product that is difficult to watch and also question the direction of the franchise. You can't have both of those things and expect everything to stay as it is. Sorry, I'm ranting. I'm sorry. No, I mean all valid points, and and to your point on the on the scoring pace, the Predators had last year. I think they had seventeen games where they scored more than four goals. This year they have two. And you're looking. There's a lot of lopsided box scores, not in the Predators' favor. They're giving up a lot of goals. They're not scoring goals, and I think it's the frustrating thing. To your point, the stars that were the stars last year are not performing like the stars this year, and I don't think we expected everyone to keep keep up what they did last year. But David Poyle at the end of his end of the year press conference said, Oh, I think Phil Forsberg can come back and be a 50 goal scorer next year. Mm. He may or may not have the talent to do that, but that's putting a lot of pressure on somebody that you didn't know whether he was going to be here or not. I don't think anyone expected Matt Duchesne to continue to be a 40 plus goal scorer. I think if we, we said 
25 to 30, 35 would be good for him. If Forsberg was in the third, like the mid 30s, that would be good for him. They're not even scoring at that pace. Right. And it took Roman Yossi a while to get going too, but he's, I think he's got points in 10 of his last 14. He's the second leading scorer in the team. He's almost a point per game player. So, yes, while 66 points is a regression from 96 points, that's still a very solid year. Before last year, that probably would have been Roman Yossi's career best season if he had 66 points or whatever it was. So, and I think that's the thing a lot of fans are frustrated is the on ice product is just not fun to watch and comparable to the Titans situation. Like the Titans on the field product is not fun to watch, but Amy Adams strunk, like we said last week is a singular voice. There's no one to tell her no. And I would argue that Amy Adams strunk probably knows more about football than any of the Titans owner or any of the predators owners know about hockey. Maybe that will change when Bill Haslam takes over as majority owner in three, in three years or whenever that happens. But it's just, right. it's one of those things where I don't want to say ownership doesn't know any better because that's kind of a cop out, but ownership really doesn't know any better. Like they're all probably sitting there like, okay, if we fire David Poyle, who's a competent GM, we can go out and hire. I don't think they know the answers to those questions. Maybe they need to hire like an outside firm or a consultant or someone to help with that. They have three pretty competent assistant general managers right now that they could probably promote. I would argue don't, don't promote Brian Poyle because that's just going to piss fans off. But (laughs) I mean, the way way this team is, is built is the problem. And the difference is the Titans are willing to say, hey, the team isn't good and fans aren't happy. So I don't remind I don't mind removing the architect of the team and getting a new one. Whereas the Predators are saying, well, everything's fine. Like the team's OK. We're making money. It's good. Well, I I, I hesitate to say that oh, any ownership of any professional sports team should know the inner workings of how to you know, coach or play any of the sports. Like Amy Adams Strunk has some football knowledge because she came up in a football family. Her father owned the team or whatever. But like, I don't expect her to know why a GM is elite, why they can make what 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 makes that scouting department so great. Like, it's not their jobs. Ownership is it's not ownership's job to know how to develop Ellie Tolvin in. It's I would, I would argue the opposite. I think if you're an owner and you don't know those things, you're not doing a very good job of owning your team. It's not your job. I mean, I will again, I'll disagree with you on that. I, I think your job is to hire people that are extraordinary at scouting players, developing players, coaching players, selecting players like the GM scouting department and the coach and the coaching staff. Like they're the experts on the breakout and the power play. Like I don't need my owner to. Like Mark, does Mark Cuban know how to run a pick and roll? Maybe I don't know, but like I don't need him to. I need him to hire people that do it really, really, really well. Yeah, and I'm not he, saying the owners need to know the X's and O's of how of how the sport works or how the game is played. I'm just saying Amy Adams Strunk probably has a better idea of what it entails to fire John Robinson and and how to go out and and hire someone who could possibly do that job better than any of the Predators owners because I think the I think the difference is they're pretty they're pretty successful business people though. Just I'm again I'm just playing Oh, I get that. I'm not, I'm not and I'm not just crapping on them. Herb Fritch <laughs> even Herb Fritch even said as much. He was like he someone asked him about the potential of this team and and all this stuff and he was like, "Oh, I don't know." He's like, "We pay people to to do that stuff." He even I, admitted himself he does not know the inner workings of the team. And I think the the, the two different the one difference between the two teams is Amy Adams Strunk it recognized that John Robinson is a really good general manager, but she's striving for better. I think the Predators recognize that David Poyle probably isn't the GM that he was, but they don't know what striving for better looks like. Hmm. Well, they, I hope they saw it on uh, Tuesday night at Bridgestone Arena. Now, to be fair, 
you cannot just wave a wand in one offseason and acquire Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Like that takes we took a lot gone, of years of sucking to do that. Yes, we've been and we've been through what it looks like on this show, all the different ways to quote unquote rebuild. We've seen it all again. I think we still need a couple of more weeks, maybe even more of like a month before I get to the point because they're still scrapping. They're right around 500. They're fighting for a playoff spot. They could easily go on a run. They need to be healthy to do that. I don't think we're there yet at the blow it all up phase of the conversation. I think that's down the road, at least in my opinion. But I do think it's interesting to to note the, the comparisons, as we did last week, between the two two organizations. And some of the, the difference for me, as I'm watching these organizations kind of struggle in the same way, right? Like tough to watch, no offense. Tough to watch, no offense. Titans and Preds, very similar. Singular owner makes a big decision. Ownership group hasn't made a big decision like this yet. But the difference is, is the Titans have some excuses, right? Like, yes, Derrick Henry's healthy, but they don't have A.J. Brown. Traylon Burks is injured. The offensive line is broken. Like, their, their best players are out. The difference with the Preds is that their best players suck, <laughs> at least right now. I, they just are not performing the way they did last year. And so and I, I'd also argue too, the Titans have a head coach who's arguably in the top two or three of his yeah, that's a, that's uh, a, of his job of his field. And the Predators are working with I don't want to be disrespectful, John Hines, but they're they're not working with the best that they could at, at head to coach right now. That's a that's a that's a that's a fine way of saying it. Um he does change up the power play line uh lineup. They had what Forsberg and Glass and Nita Ryder with Yossi oh, John Hines changed up the lines. What? This is brand new information to everybody. Look, if you go 0 for 10 in three straight games in the power play and you have the worst power, one of the worst power plays in the league, like I'm fine with them making some changes. The problem is they proceeded to go like 0 for 4, 0 for 5, or whatever it was on Tuesday. They had if, another if only five. They on had a young, talented offensive sniper who was really good <laughs> at just whacking the puck in from the faceoff dot and from the slide. If only they had someone who has proven ability to transform a power play by himself. If only the team had that. All right. It's a nice segue by you. Go to Jasper's, everybody. If you if you need to drink after the start of this conversation, go to Jasper's, everybody. And oh, by the way, uh, you're correct. I'm surprised at this. Yossi's on pace for 69 points. Nice. Uh, I'm surprised that that actually would have been a career high. He had 65 yeah. a couple a couple years ago, 56, 53, 49, 61, 55. I was I thought he was in that sort of 60 point range more often. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. 69 still would be a career high if not for the 96. How but crazy is it we're talking about him having a down year from last year and it would still be a career high in any other year? <laughs> and so that that that, <laughs> that no, just speaks to his greatness. And it's important context when we complain about Yossi only scoring 70 points. Like we, you know, we need it's important context to say that would still be a career high for him. So let's which be is funny clear. because if like Ryan Johansson threw up 70 points, you'd be throwing him a damn parade. So yeah, yeah. Um, so real quickly here again, because I want to get to Tolvin in eight, eight out of their 12 total wins this season have come by one goal. Uh, so they're just, again, the scoring is the issue. The power play is the issue. The stars, it's all the same. It's the exact same thing we've said the entire time. The coaching staff doesn't feel like they're developed, doesn't feel like they're developing the young players. The, the offense is struggling. The stars aren't performing. The power play sucks. Ownership doesn't have a singular voice. It's the same exact stuff we said on the show for like four months now. So um, uh, with with like a nice win streak mixed in there. So we'll see what they do over the next month. I think December and some of January is going to be huge to determine the entire direction of this franchise and potentially the careers of some of these guys. Again, David Poyle moved on Peter LaViolette. What was it like first week of January? 
So I heard him on January 6th, January 6th. So just uh, a day that will live in infamy in this country. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Laviolette fired on January 6th. Um, All right. So Ellie Tolvanen, I know you guys talked a lot about it. Um, (laughs) I, I just, I, so 135 games, five seasons, really just two seasons. If you count this year, three seasons, he played 40 games. When he kind of broke in, eleven goals, uh, eleven assists. That was when he was like sniping off the power play and actually driving the power play two, two three years ago, three seasons ago, I should say, because of the pandemic garbage. Seventy-five games last year, eleven goals, twelve assists, twenty-three points. This year, thirteen games. He's played half of the games, two goals, two assists. He's put on waivers, and I remember being on the air for all of the buildup to to him coming from joker it and and the khl to be on this national predators team and how it was like the only thing fans wanted to talk about heading into the playoffs that year and i was on the air at 1025 and it was just like such a huge deal we were on like tolvan and watch every couple of days when he was playing in russia and for it to end this way i it's an indictment on everybody it is an indictment on the development staff it's an indictment on tolvan and himself it's an indictment on the front office for not getting anything for him. It's an indictment on the coaching staff for not playing him. It, I don't, I, I don't think there's one person to blame, but it's hard not for me to think of a other than like Kyle Turris. It, it is hard for me to think of another player that had so much promise and upside and is so disappointing to this point. And my fear, I, I guarantee you, he is going to go to Seattle and play extremely well. <laughs> Oh, there's there's no question he will. It's <laughs> for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the the scouting department, the coaching staff, a mixing match of both. Aside from Philip Forsberg, the Predators, and they didn't draft Forsberg; they traded him, but they got him before he played for the Capitals. So I'm I'm counting Forsberg as part of of this. He was a, he was a pro- Phil- he, he was acquired as a prospect. Yeah, outside yeah. of Phil, they they acquired him in the middle of his draft year after Washington drafted him. But outside of Forsberg, and you can maybe throw Alex Radulov in there. And it's hard. With, with Radulov and Victor Arvidsson, like Radulov had two good seasons for the Predators before he went to the KHL. Arvidsson had probably about four good seasons here before they parted ways with him. RV was pretty good. Yeah. So so outside of one player, and you could maybe make a small case for, for two others, they, for whatever reason, this team is not good at drafting and developing high-end top-level forwards. And when Ellie Tolvanen was drafted, he slid down the draft boards because there was the whole thing of, is he going to school with Boston College? Because he got denied admissions there because of the whole weird thing of, of him playing in the USHL and then trying to get into college. And they were worried about, well, is he just trying to use the school to up his draft stock and stuff like that? And it wasn't exactly like he lived over here and had all these high school credits. And all, like It was just a weird thing. Plus, they didn't know if if he didn't get into college, if he was going to go back over and play in, in Russia. Is he going to stick in the USHL? Like there was all these questions about his future. So he was a consensus top fifteen prospect, and he fell to thirtieth. You go out and you draft him because he's a sniper. He's that elite goal scorer that this team, for whatever reason, has not had success finding and drafting. And there was all of this hype surrounding him. And then he went over and he set the KHL rookie scoring record. He went over and tore it up against, you know, grown men playing in the Olympics. And there was all this hype. And then he came in at the end of the year and he was expected. And the team largely played a part in this. They hyped him up as like the, the second coming, this next great player. He played, I think, four games at the end of that regular season. He did not play in the playoffs. 
And that was where I think it all started to go south for him because they hyped him up, brought him in. He he played okay. He still looked very much like a rookie, like a 19-year-old kid that didn't really know what was going on. He was having to adjust to the North American ice rink and stuff. And it this whole Ellie Tolvanen thing was just it blew up in flames. And there's just so much to, to go into and talk about when it comes to this. But this the the way they handled Ellie Tolvanen, I think, is part of a much bigger problem with the Predators organization. I'm working on a story about this actually that'll probably be out sometime next week. But I, I, they, I think they, they really dropped the ball with Tolvanen, and they've, and you know, they've done it before. And it's just one of those things that you, it's, it's frustrating as a fan, I'm sure, to watch someone that was hyped up as the, the next big thing really come in and fail. And I think it's just, they don't, they don't develop players. And I think, why would you be excited about some of the other prospects when we just saw what happened to Ellie Tolvanen? No, I think that's a great point, and I hadn't really thought about it until just now. It's because you're inspirational, Michael. Go to Jaspers, everybody. Um, it's I, I think, could you make the case? Could you argue? Because it does feel like David Poyle has tried to fix the forward thing over the last like four, five, six drafts where he's like going all in on all these forwards and he's trying to, you know, solve his own legacy of not being able to draft and develop forwards. And now, now they're left with no forwards and no defensemen because of the strategy potentially moving forward. It doesn't mean that some of those guys, Evangelista and Afanasia, like this, some of those guys could still turn into nice pieces, Tomasino, whatever. But doesn't it feel like the Ellie Tolvanen story arc is like an entire microcosm of the, the modern Predators franchise post-cup run? Me, meaning like, and, and if you go back and listen, like we, I talked to Carl Taylor about developing his game, turning him into a 200-foot player and making him more physical. He has become that, but they've completely avoided going back to teaching him Hey, hey, you still got to be you still have to do the number one thing that you're best at well on this team. You need to be a scoring threat in the power play and and on 5 on 5. It feels like with multiple voices in his ear with with multiple head coaches up and down from the AHL back and forth to the to Milwaukee and you know the hype in the in the draft process and getting value at a, at a at a pick for David Poyle and and not being able to develop forwards and then coming up and not living up to expectations like it doesn't it, it it's it almost feels like his his 5 year arc or 6 year arc with this franchise is like the entire microcosm sixth, since the cup run that defines this organization there's no clear voice there's too many cooks in the kitchen or not enough cooks in the kitchen developing the wrong parts of the ingredients and then yeah. You're mismanaging his role, and you don't know who the the coach. The two different coaches are giving him two different lessons, and I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy for for seeing this, but it does feel like the Tolvanen story is the microcosm of the entire franchise. No, I feel like it's it's a good point to make, and 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 again, he didn't Tolvanen didn't have a lot of time with Peter Laviolette. Like he played a few games in like two or three seasons, and then. <sighs> I, I would argue if Peter Laviolette was still the head coach of the National Predators, Ellie Tolvanen would be a 25 to 30 goal scorer consistently every year. <laughs> he just made everyone crash their car, dude. <laughs> and I'm I'm not saying like Peter that is Laviolette. amazing. <laughs> I'm not saying Peter Laviolette should still be the head coach of this team, but I'm right, saying right. Peter Laviolette or insert another head coach with a similar offensive philosophy. Because that's the contrast of the two head coaches. Peter Laviolette was run and gun, play with your hair on fire, go down and just barrage them with goals and shots and just piss them off and throw everything at them. And John Hines is more of a calculated, yeah, stay back, play defense, be rough. Like Peter yeah, maybe, it, 
clearly the offensive coach and John Hines is clearly more of like the, the middle of the road leaning towards defensive kind of coach. Well, and maybe I didn't explain and you've, you've done a better job of maybe crystallizing the argument I was trying to make, which is like, it feels like the coaching strategy and the general managing strategy have like crisscrossed. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, I have, think John you, Hines, you, I think John Hines and the coaching staff ruined Ellie Tolvanen. I don't think it was, I guess you could say because they're employed by the Predators, like the Predators ruined Tolvanen. But I think it was John Hines and his coaching staff took probably perhaps the most offensively gifted player this team has ever had, like in-house drafted homegrown player. You, you've taken arguably the most offensively gifted player this team has ever had, and you tried to turn him into a four-checking two-way forward. And because that fits John Hines' style of play, right? That right, fits this right. team's identity. That fits what they're trying to do. They tried to, t- they tried to take Ellie Tolvin in and turn him into a Colton Sissons. And that's just, I think that's what ruined his game. I think he's going to go to Seattle now. He's get, For everything I heard from him yesterday and from Dave Hackstall and everyone else that they interviewed about Tolvin and being there, I think they're going to take the chains off of him. They're going to unleash him and he's going to go out there and he's going to score goals in bunches because he never had that here. He never had a head coach that one believed in him two that didn't try to change who he was as a player and three put him in positions to succeed. We argued so many times over the last two or three years. Why is this kid playing on the third or the fourth line? Why is Kyle Turris on the second line and Ellie Tolvin and can't get up there? Like there, there were so many times where we asked John Hines, like, why are you not putting him in the top six and giving him more top six minutes? Because that's what this kid needs to succeed. And John Hines was like, well, you have to put him in different situations, let him work his way up. And like, no, that's bullshit. Ellie Tolvanen is a top six forward. At least that's what you drafted him to be. And everyone says he has a skill set to do that. Why were you not putting him in those situations to succeed? I think with Seattle, they're going to start him off slow, probably on the third or the fourth line, build up, get familiar with the system and the way they run. And I think once they take the chains off Ellie Tolvanen, he's going to be a no, consistent top six player. And he's going to be scoring 30 goals every year for the Kraken. The, the Predators' second line under Peter Laviolette today would be Philip Tomasino, Ellie Tolvanen, and Kevin Fiala. <laughs> yeah. Or Cody Glass would be centering it. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, by the way, who, again, and a lot of these were trades, right? Like, we've talked ad nauseum about this. Like, Gronlin's a pretty good player. They got Gronlin back for Fiala. Uh, Fiala, you know, had his moments, but clearly very talented. Arvidsson, at this point, like, Granlin's been good, but at this point, I would argue this team would be better with Kevin Fiala over Mikhail Granlin right now. Maybe, and Arvidsson was a salary move. Like, I, you know, like, would they be better if they had a bunch of these little guys that can all score Tom again, Tomasino, Tolvin and Fiala Arvidsson. Maybe I think they, they, they thought they were getting out early on Arvidsson and Ellis. It worked very well in the Ellis trade because Ellis clearly was damaged goods at that point. Unfortunately, as, as much as people loved him as a, as a fan of the team, same thing with Arvidsson and Arvidsson has sort of proven them wrong and been able to, to score. Um, but I do think there's like this to your point about like, it felt like David Poyle was trying to evolve into modern hockey by drafting all these modern hockey people, but that would be better with Peter Laviolette. And then he went in the other direction by with his hire, which again was supposed to be developmental and in and, and its strength. And it's just yeah. not worked out that way. And so I think again, to wrap up the Tolvin and conversation, because I know you're going to have a, a, a lot more on like the prospect pipeline and sort of what this organization has done. Well, I do have a few more points I want to make before we move off. Of well, this. Can, let me, let me, the, the one that I just going back to my original point, which is just everyone owns, everyone has to wear this around their neck. Everyone owns it. David Poyle didn't get anything for him. Okay. I'm not suggesting that the, the market was huge, but like your job as a GM is to not let good, talented pieces go for nothing. Okay. So, well, they did try, they did try to shop him. I, they, I know they, they I were know. actively looking to get something for him. And I read a piece from Greg Wyshynski on ESPN this morning 
at the board of governors meetings where he said there's little action on the trade market because everyone is so strapped for money. Everyone is really close yeah. to the cap that teams are a lot of them are dealing with situations like the predators where they're, they have injuries and they, they have to rely on calling people up as opposed to doing anything else because they just don't have salary cap space right now. Right. Ellie told them to make it almost a million and a half a year. I'm sure that played a factor into it. a lot of teams don't have the, the cap space to take on that. And plus, why would you give up something for a talented piece when you know if the Predators can't trade him, they're going to have to release him anyway. Right. And and But I'm just saying, the story ends with the Predators getting nothing for him. If Could they have traded him a year ago, two years ago? Maybe they still believed in him then. I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting it's easy to do all of this, but the bottom, the facts are they got nothing for one of their prized, arguably their top most talented prized offensive prospect ever they got nothing for him. Very little production from him on the ice. He wasn't developed. Again, I think Tolvanen has to own some of this as well. Like it's, he's the player. He's the one who's on. It's his name. It's his body. He's out there skating. But like it's both. Co- it's the coaching staff. It's the development. It's the front office. It's the player. Everyone is guilty in all of this. So I, I it just. Yeah. I know you got more to say, but like I just think it's. And I'll make I'll make two more points, and then we can move on because I don't want to give away my entire story. I want I want to give instead <laughs> to read it next week. Um, Go to of, the 20, of the 22 first round picks that the Predators have had in, the, in their franchise history, I would argue that only five of them have made significant contributions to this team. David Leguan, Scott Hartnell, Dan Hamus, Ryan Suter, and Ryan Ellis. There was a lot of them that didn't work out. Brian Finley, Scotty Upshaw, Ryan Perron, Jonathan Blum, Chet Pickard. I mean, you could argue there's you're on the fence about a couple. Radulov. Did you say Alex just for? Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm getting I'm hearing. Did you say just forwards or are you saying all draft picks? All first round draft picks. Well, I mean, Seth Jones got you Ryan Johansson. Well, right? I was I was getting into that. I was okay. I was saying right. you could argue you're on the fence with with Radulov, Wilson, Austin Watson, and stuff. And and Kevin Fiala brings you back Grand Lynn. Seth Jones brings you back Ryan Johansson. So there's still a, there's a couple of moves that like those players didn't produce, but they brought back some pieces and stuff. But that's a very that's a very poor hit rate on first round picks. And then the last point I want to make too, and going back to the the bigger problem is. The beginning of 2021, the Athletic put out their prospect rankings for the Predators. Organizational rankings, I think it was 1 through 15. On that list, they had David Ferentz ranked their number two prospect. Tolanen was their third prospect. Rem Pitlick was their fifth prospect. Connor Ingram was their sixth prospect. Frederick Allard was their eighth prospect. And Patrick Harper was their ninth prospect. All six of those players are no longer with this organization. And none of those guys brought anything back. David Ferentz was just outright released. Tolvin was placed on waivers and was claimed. The same with Ren Pitlick, the same with Connor Ingram. Frederick Allard, I think, was traded for like a sixth round pick or something. And Patrick Harper was just released. That 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 is a bad look considering it's it's not even it's it's a full calendar year later, maybe, maybe a year and a half later. And six of your of your top 10 picks of your top 10 prospects from a year ago are no longer with the team. For, for nothing in return. For nothing in return. <sighs> All right, uh, so uh, good luck, Preds fans. Have a good time. Uh, we don't like ownership. We don't, we're not sure about the coaching staff. The power play sucks. They can't score goals. The stars aren't very good, and there's nothing in the pipeline to, to cheer you up with. <laughs> what are we <Basically>. doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Maybe we're closer to the blow-it-all-up conversation than we thought. Um, and somehow, some way, this, this team is exactly is... where I was leading us. This is this yeah, is I the, know, the topic of conversation <laughs> for the next podcast. <laughs> for the next podcast, well, and watch them win like you know two out of three or three in a row or something. And you know, again, this is still a 500 team basically that is fighting for a playoff spot. So, like that lost in all of that is that if if they were to figure any of this out at any point during the season for longer than just like five or six or seven games, 
They could easily make the playoffs still, which is insane. It's insane to even think that and say that out loud, considering all the negativity that we've had on the show today. Um, yeah. All right. Speaking of negativity, uh, not not Jasper's. Jasper's is great. All the positivity you need. If you need to cure your negativity, you go to Jasper's. Free parking makes you happier. Clean floors. It smells nice in there, according to Michael Gallagher, intrepid reporter. That's the sources have indicated that it does. It's a very clean establishment. Very clean establishment. It's very light and airy, although yeah. there hasn't been. Although we haven't had much like the Predators, we have not had any sunshine in this freaking city for like a month straight. It's ridiculous. Uh, we think we had like one day of sunshine this week, and that ever was since like the, the water main break. Ever since the water, I think it goes back before that. Uh, ever ever since Todd Downing, <laughs> it's gosh, it's been since the Todd Downing incident. What a time um, to cover Nashville sports! Oh God, it's wild. Um, <laughs> so go to Jasper's, of course, because again, the food will, will make you happy, the parking will make you happy, the beverages and the drink specials will make you happy. Go drink a gold standard. Um, they are proud partners and sponsors of the Nashville Predators. Uh, they are a proud partner of 440 Sports, have been since the beginning, uh, and we really, really love them and we appreciate them. So all of you out there listening who um, care about the Nashville Predators and care about this show, make sure you're reading the post in the scene, supporting Michael here, and make sure you're going to Jasper's because it, it's truly, again, I took my folks, take the wife, take my daughter when we before we go to concerts. Like It's literally the go-to if you want a place to downtown. Think about this. You do not have to pay for parking. You're going to get an awesome burger and you're not going to break the bank. I don't like give me a break with this. <laughs> like, Play some air hockey while you're there. Right. For free. For free. Like of all the things you think about when you're going out to dinner, like quality of food, price point, And how do I freaking park my car? Like that. That's literally the, the three most important factors. And Jasper has all of them. So go to Jasper. There have Jasper. been times that were where like my friends or my wife and I have been driving around looking for a place to eat and we could not find parking. And we have settled for just going to a place because there was available parking. Available parking. So maybe go to Jasper's next time, Michael. Yeah, it's probably, um, probably good advice. <laughs> all right. So so spe- <laughs> speaking of uh, bad vibes, um, I, I, we're going to have a quick conversation here about media, social media fans treating people in the media certain ways but really team employees and and I don't you you said something about the you you used the phrase I think the backlash to to Lindsay Raleigh and I I know Lindsay pretty well I think you know Lindsay pretty well um she when when you work for like Kara like how like C Mace like Willie D like we know all these guys men and women they're great but when you work for the team or team adjacent or partly for the team or whatever or partner of the team partner of the team and i'm not talking about like what i used to do on the morning show where i was fully paid by another company even though that company is afloat because of the predators i like it, w- when you are on the team broadcast you are a representative of the team like you are a you are you, you, <laughs> can you be like smart and critical about certain things you see in games obviously you can you can ask questions about like why what do you need to do to make the power play better like no one expects you to just constantly just orally service the the franchise but you're you're you are on the team pulling in the same direction as the players and the coach and the gm and the ownership it is not your job to be the fire hot take kind of person like you and i can be or radio hosts can be or columnists can be like media and fans we, we don't need more of that. We already have one guy who is very good at doing that in this in this market. We don't need and, more. And we've just spent 45 minutes being critical of the organization. So like it, it, this, this is our role, right? And, the, and you can be have... critical without being a jackass. Yeah, that's, yes, that's the issue. So don't don't call Lindsey Raleigh a jackass. That's not very nice, Michael. <laughs> um, all right. So what happened that was so upsetting to people? 
What was so what was so upsetting to people? Like a Dan Hynote interview during an intermission report? Like I don't Yeah, so don't it was it was during the game the other night. Lindsay, I guess, did a bench interview with Dan Hynote, and he was asked about Cole Smith. And Cole Smith is a lightning rod in this market because there's people that don't like him and there's people that try to defend him. And and he it's it's amazing. He's probably the most polarizing non-factor on a team that I've ever seen. But zero, he was asked about zero percent shooting percentage for the year. Yeah, he was asked about Cole Smith and he said, oh, yeah, he's he's an 82 game player. You love to have someone like him on your team. He's feisty. He goes out and he does all the right things and all this stuff. And and the Bally Sports Twitter account tweeted that video out. And I think they, they tagged Lindsay Rowley in it because she was you know conducting the interview. Right. And then there were people in the comments section that were just lighting them up. And, and, and OK, so. In that situation, what is Dan Hino supposed to do? He is an assistant coach on the Nashville Predators. You honestly expect him to sit there and be like, yeah, Cole Smith sucks. He shouldn't be on this team. I don't know why we're playing him. I want to get him back to Milwaukee. Like He gave a very coach-speak answer, which is what he's supposed to do. And then Lindsay Rowley, of course, because she was tagged in the tweet, saw what people were saying, and she said, the comments on this are cracking me up. And then she she finished it off with, she, this is probably where she went too far, where she yeah, said, yeah, yeah. She said, the people you're criticizing have forgotten more about hockey than you guys know. It's and and, just, and it's, to, to not to defend her, but I have been in a similar, similar situation where you're tagged in a tweet and people just keep commenting and keep commenting. And because it's Twitter and it's a sewer, like you keep reading it because you can't not read it. And I think it got to a point where her frustration probably boiled over a little bit. And that's a comment she should make in a, in a group chat with her friends or she should be like, hey, look at this. These guys are you know, whatever. Like that was something that probably didn't need to be said on Twitter. And the scope of things, that's not the most egregious thing she could have said. So I think people are overreacting a little bit too much to this. Yeah. Have you read Twitter? <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but that's that's what happened. And then after she said that, people just started lighting her up and going in on her. Yeah, like it's... like you said, someone's like, well, maybe if you spent less time worrying about your makeup, you'd ask better questions and stuff. Like, uh, yeah, it's you need it's... to make it personal. You can disagree with the question she asked, and you can think that it was a stupid interview, which I will agree that probably wasn't the best use of time or social media or whatever. You can disagree with that stuff and you can be angry about that stuff without getting personal and going in on people just because someone has a different viewpoint than you do. So I think this is I, I am fascinated with social media and how it's broken our brains and our society. And like, I, I'm fascinated by it. But like, it's the worst thing to ever happen to our society. Twitter, in my opinion. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter is sort of designed to be a sewer. It wasn't. It wasn't originally. It used to be a place where we could like have fun conversations, and it's gotten sewer e. And it's all about dunking. It's about dunking, and 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 who's got the snarkiest comment, and who's the funniest, and you know, in those types of moments, right? And if the team was winning a bunch of games, nobody even gives a shit. They don't even care. They don't even respond to the tweet. It's just, oh, okay, Cole Smith is. We know exactly what the coaches really like this guy for some reason, and it just continues to go down this this path of of what is Cole Smith, right? I, I do think that Raleigh has Raleigh knows as a representative and she even put like the laughing emoji in there. So she clearly wasn't trying to be like specifically evil or malicious. It's not, it's yeah, not her. She, it's she's not, not really in her person. No, it's not in her personality type, but like, and she's not wrong. <laughs> she's right. The guys that she's talking to have forgotten more about hockey than any of the fans probably have. Unless, unless I don't know, unless there's like some former coach in there somewhere, but like when, so she had the only thing I would say critical of her because I think she did nothing wrong here. I don't have anything critical to say of her. I think that phrase, ha, they, these guys have forgotten more than you'll ever know. I think that is a triggering phrase for a fan base that is on the the razor's edge of disappointment about their team. And yeah. so it's about it's so so maybe maybe if I was 
saying something to her, which by the way, I have nothing wrong. I have nothing wrong to say about what she did, but that particular phrase is probably pretty triggering. And in a social media setting where the only thing that really happens is everyone just gets all triggered about everything and then yells at each other about stuff in the sewers. She kind of has to know she's in the sewers there. Right. Which means what she said is not that bad. And then I think it's smart for other people to step back and realize what she has to deal with in the sewers. Even if she did bring herself into the sewers on her own there, I I think if someone's going to say to her, maybe if you worried about your, maybe if you worried about your questions more than your makeup, like, give me a break with that garbage like that. Again, that's what Twitter's for. You have to know what you're getting yourself into when you go in there. Lindsay is totally confident and comfortable in her own skin. She doesn't really probably care about what anybody is telling her on Twitter. I just know that it does affect you eventually. It does affect you. And especially as a female in broadcasting, that that is a thing that she probably has always had to deal with, which is this this misogynistic male version of female broadcasters that we, that is just baked into our you know sports experience that I think is you know obviously antiquated and stupid. So I don't really know what the answer is. I think some of it is understanding what Twitter really is and how people are going to act, and then letting it roll and not worry about it. Some of it's just not taking the bait. Some of it's just maybe don't use that particular phrase again. Yeah. I. I would say, here's what I would say. Everybody just be better. Just I be think better. It's, it's, it's These an are people conversation to have. Like, would you it, say this to Lindsay Raleigh? If you were talking to her face, a hundred percent, would you say no. those things to her? No. You and wouldn't. that's, that's where I was going. The next point I wanted to make is everyone is so comfortable being a keyboard warrior where they're hiding behind a screen right. and you can sit there and you can, you can yell at her and call her all these names. And that was a stupid interview, but she stands up for herself and she chirps back a little bit, not even going personal, not even insulting anyone, not even I've seen, I've for crying out loud, I've fucking seen Jared Stillman say stupider shit to people and no one loses their minds about it because it's just accepted that he's a jerk and that's what he does. The second Lindsey Rowley stands not, up for herself. For, for, hey, first of all, he's not actually a jerk. <laughs> Just so you know, he's not actually a jerk. His he, online persona is a, is of a jerk. Put it that way. I mean, he believes a lot of the weird stuff he says on the air, but he is not a bad person. He is a nice person who cares about people. He just has an on-air personality. But that the is, second Lindsey Rowley chirps back at someone, like she was, she wasn't even doing what some of the fans were doing that were responding to the original tweet. It's like you can dish it out, but the second someone dishes it right, back to you, like right. you can't take it. Right. That's that's the issue, and I understand fans. I, I just I just want to say this: I fully agree, and I support Predators fans. You should be pissed off. This team sucks right now. You should be mad. You should want John Hines fired. You should want David Poyle fired. Like it is absolutely your right to do that, and it is your right to vent about it. You have a personal Twitter account. Use it for for the, exactly that reason. There are healthier ways to vent your frustration at the team. Tweet at Sean Henry. Tweet at whoever is in press yeah. management that that has a, that has a, a Twitter account. Send oh. emails to these guys. It's not that hard to to do a Twitter search or a Google search and find find their contact information. Like, don't buy tickets. Don't renew your season tickets. There are other ways to let the team know that you are frustrated instead of going on the line and attacking someone and making it personal about that. And if the yeah. team wasn't losing and and all this frustration surrounding the team wasn't a thing, I don't think what Lindsay said would have been that big of a deal. Well, but no, I mean, the obviously team sucks and fans are mad. It, it led to that. Like there's a healthier way to vent your frustrations <laughs> than to, to, to do that. That's very childish. Like grow up. Well, I, I mean, obviously the team is struggling because of Lindsay Raleigh's decisions. I mean, exactly that because of that question, like that. I've actually heard that she is she's the, the power play coach this season. Yep. So yep. yes, it's all her. Yep. It is. Uh, no, like of the 400 people that work at Bridgestone Arena, like Lindsay Raleigh's the reason that the team is struggling. Lindsay Raleigh's in like the bottom 10. 
<laughs> Actually, I also heard on, on the DL that she's the one that broke the water main, you know, a couple oh, weeks ago, too. Man. So, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Lindsay. Everything is Lindsay Rowley's fault. Sorry, Lindsay. We're throwing you under the under the bus. It's all your fault. Um, <laughs> I, I I listen, I I will say it's a thankless job to be asking questions for of any coach during any game, first of all. I to, I think it's just a tough job. It's a it's I don't know why we do it with football coaches at halftime of games. I don't what 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 like what are they supposed to say? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's not, it's not a bad question or a bad interview or a bad answer. I do think that fans the are worst time to interview a coach is in the heat of the moment. Yeah, Why would exactly. you do that? Yeah. So I don't, it's a, all, it's a broadcast thing, I guess. And again, I, I think it's the most thankless job in all of sports broadcasting is trying to get something meaningful from a coach during a game, whatever that is intermission report or halftime of football or basketball TV timeouts. Like, I, I just think it's dumb, but they don't they even all, like talking to us after games. Why the hell would they want to do it in the middle of a game? <laughs> I also totally, to your point, I totally understand the fans' frustration with the answers they are getting about their team from the people in charge of the team. Exactly, and so and, and that, that's I wasn't trying to to bash them for for being frustrated. Like, be frustrated. You right. absolutely should and are frustrated about that. Like, that is well within your right as a fan, and I don't blame them for that whatsoever. If I was a fan of this team, I would want answers too. I, I guess. Listen, I, I've studied a I, like I. I, I've studied social media way too much. Like I, <laughs> like I've studied the, like the scientific psychological impacts on our brains and and sort of what they're for. Uh, Twitter is my drug of choice because it is live and interactive and you, and it's words. That's my choice. I don't use Instagram. I don't use TikTok. I don't. I don't consume like those. Those platforms are specifically designed for strict consumption. There is no interaction on Instagram Reels or TikTok. You are just you're just watching a TV show for like however long you're sucked into it and are receiving the dopamine hits. Twitter I think is that's about- why Twitter is so popular is because you can have an argument on Twitter. You can't have an argument on TikTok. Well, I think, well, TikTok is, is 10 times the size of Twitter. So t- t- Twitter is not all that popular. It's actually only 20% of Americans have Twitter accounts. And obviously it's recently gone into the tank from a user experience standpoint. I'll rephrase among sports fans. Yeah. Yeah. It's big among sports fans, but it's because we all want to watch the game and interact together and have a thought on the power play or have a thought on Connor McDavid, just blowing through the defense or want to have a thought on what Dan Hino just said. And it's okay for us to all do that. It's also okay for the broadcaster to have a comment and be a part of that conversation and be in the, if we're all going to be in the sewers together, we kind of have to all understand that we're going to get muddied together. Um, but also like, Think of, before you send something. The one thing I always say to people is it, human interaction. Now we're off into a different subject here, but 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 human interaction has natural barriers. It creates natural barriers and buffers for your behavior. When you call someone an asshole to their face, there is going to be a reaction to you, <laughs> and that then affects your response to that interaction. And if you if it's all two dimensional and completely flat and there's no like you would never walk up to Lindsey Raleigh and say or, or any or Kara Hammer, any woman that's a broadcaster and say, well, if you weren't so worried about your dresses or your makeup, you would ask better questions like like you would never, ever, ever do that to her because the natural human behavior would put you in your place very quickly. And so I some of this is we have to understand that Twitter's just the way it is sometimes. And the fan base is on edge and it's okay for Lindsay to defend herself. And it's okay for yeah. it, it to be, it's if it's going to be a sewer, just accept that it's a sewer and then know what you're dealing with. But 
don't get all pissy because she came back at you after you went at them. <laughs> like, don't yeah. get all don't get all pissy about that. This would be great to revisit as like a, a throwaway podcast at the end of the year when when the season's over and there's nothing else really going on to revisit this because I have extensively studied sport fandom and sport psychology when I was an undergrad. So I have so many thoughts on the on why people behave the way they do in, in situations like this. And you want you want uh, another one? You want another one? What? There, there is scientific evidence that the human brain is more active while watching your arch rival lose than watching your team win. Meaning yeah. you you are more amped up and excited as a human being physiologically to watch like the team like the team you hate the most lose a game than you actually are to watch your own team win a game. And, and it's all studied by the brain activity and it's like yeah. there's so much science behind all this stuff and no it's it's 100% real and I, I would argue why that's why the 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 evening show on 1025 the game is as popular it's it's the old howard stern thing people more people tune in to listen to howard stern so they can argue and oppose him than they do because they're fans of him listen i know you got you and jared got to figure out your differences here but the reason he's so good is because we live in an enragement society it's not engagement it's enragement it's about anxiety it's about elevating your levels of of grievance and then just spewing as much garbage as you can and Part of the reason sports talk, part of the reason we do the podcast is, and I believe in podcasts as a medium, is that we get to have more nuanced and in-depth conversation because Predators fans, while there's space for all of it, there's space to get angry and yell and scream and call into shows and be super mad and scream for people's heads. That's There's a place for that. There's a place for what Brooks Bratton used to do. And there's a, a, a Homer podcast where you can listen to just Homer talk about the team. And sure, you might learn some inside information. But ideally, there's also a place where you can spend some time with a subject and actually think through it all and not just overreact in the moment. And that's why podcasts, again, partly why I love the medium is because we can talk through like the, the, the ownership differences between the Titans and the Predators. And like in Sports Talk Radio, you have to do that in 90 seconds and we can do it yeah. in like an hour. And that that is not that, that I know you don't like that. That is not Stillman's fault. He is great at that. Um, and, and it's just, it's just the nature of sports talk radio. It's where Look, it's I can going. dislike the guy, but I can also admit that he is very good at his job and what he does. Oh, yeah. He's I, very good at teasing, at teasing stuff. He's very good at, I like Jared Stillman, by the way. Like he's, he's I, nice I, I, I don't like the way he conducts himself. And I do have some personal issues with him because of him insulting me and calling me out on the radio, but that's Ooh. digress on that beef. We got beef. But I will say I can I can I can not be a dick and, and respect the fact that he is very good at what he is supposed to be doing on the radio. All right. Let's stop talking about other media members. How about that? Let's talk real quickly about two hockey players to end on a positive note here. OK, go to Jaspers. Roman Yossi. Has now played in 787 games. He, he is number one all time now for Swiss born NHL player. Congratulations. That's a cool thing. It's sort of like Pekka being the winningest all-time Finnish goaltender, right? Like it's a it's a cool thing to have pride in being arguably the greatest player in your country's history in the NHL. That's cool. That's a cool thing. Uh, I a lot of credit. He's he has a couple of assists. He had kind of slowed down. He only had like one point in like three or four games, and then he has a couple of assists on on Tuesday night. He has five hundred sixty three five hundred sixty five points now. He is one away. So the next time. Either you hear Michael and Gover talking on it's all your fault or you and I are back next week. Uh, he will probably be the Predators all-time leading scorer. Leguan, David Leguan, 566. Uh, Roman Yossi will pass him in the next game or two. And uh, I think that is worth celebrating. 
that is worth uh, being excited about, feeling good about, and not having to run to Twitter and dunk on people for. So congratulations, Roman Yossi. You're pretty good at hockey. <laughs> it was, I was thinking about this when we were kind of going through the rundown of this and stuff. And it's hard to sit here and say someone as accomplished as Roman Yossi is still underappreciated. But I feel like in, in the national market, he's not. I think everyone here loves him and rightfully so. But I still think he does not get the recognition that he deserves for being an elite top tier defenseman across the league. And I, I still don't understand how you you go Kale McCarr over Roman Yossi last year for, for the Norris and how that happens. But I feel like Roman Yossi is just very underappreciated right now. And I think he's one of those players that you're not fully going to appreciate until it's like five, 10 years after he retires and you look back and you're like, wow, he was really fucking good. Like you look at all the yeah. seasons that he's had and everything like that. I mean, and it, I don't want to get into this debate because it, it can go sideways really quickly, but I would argue that Roman Yossi has had more impact on this team than Shea Weber. And I'm not saying like he's a better defenseman or a better person or any of that stuff, but I think it's a, it's an interesting discussion to have Roman Yossi versus Shea Weber because people here still love Shea Weber and he was great and stuff like that. But Roman Yossi, I mean, 96 points last year. I don't think we expected him to live up to that. But like you said, he's on pace for 69 points. That would still be his best year, his best offensive or statistical year yeah, of his yeah. entire career. Like he's still performing at an elite level and he's going to pass David Leguan probably in the next game or so because he's just on fire right now. And I mean, you just can't say enough good things about the guy. Uh, if Shea Weber's biggest impact on the organization was the acquisition of P.K. Subban, does that count? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love I Shea. Like, you're you're going into a really gray area. We there. all love Shea. We all love Shea. Um, no, I don't listen. Pecorine is going to be hard to uh, 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 overcome as a personality. Yeah. Um, but if Roman Yossi plays every single one of his seasons in the Nashville, in Nashville Predators uniform, I think Roman Yossi is on his way to clear cut Hall of Fame status where Pecorine maybe is not. He's maybe on the border, right? Might get in, might get in, might get in, might not. I have uh, thoughts about that as well, but I do think Pecorine is a Hall of Famer. Eventually. I, Roman Yossi will like they'll there's gonna right now there are two statues outside of Bridgestone Arena. It's gonna be Pecorine and Roman Yossi. So I mean, and you look, uh, he got called up in 2011. He played 52 games his rookie year. His, his sophomore year, he had 48 games. But after that, so basically yeah. from 2013 on, he has played at least 90 percent of the season or more. And he he had 81 games in 2014, 2015. He played 82 in 2018. Like he has played most of his full seasons. And that's something that's, that I think is huge for this franchise because you talk about how injured Ryan Ellis was and Victor Arvidsson and Philip Forsberg and all these great players. A lot of them have dealt with injury struggles. Like Roman Yossi is one of the most durable players on this roster. And I, I think, I, I hope that, you know, he, he beats David Leguan, passes him in his record and stuff, and he gets all the recognition he deserves and stuff because it's quite an accomplishment to. And I don't even, I don't remember exactly how long David Leguan's career was, but it took David Leguan a while to compile all those hey, points. And Roman Yossi's a defenseman and he's chipping away at it. D D David Leguan, as I say all the time, D David Leguan, like they were one spot away from greatness with Vincent LeCavalier and they ended up with David Leguan. Um, David Leguan is either the best worst player of all time or the worst best player of all time. And I don't know which one it is. And that's maybe disrespectful to him. He was a fine player. I don't think he was particularly all that skilled or talented. He just extremely long, you know, lots of longevity there. Um, Prime David Leguan on this team right now would be a fourth line center. 
Uh, yeah, and and I don't think when we did our conversation about the greatest all time lineup, like I, David Leguan, to me, he's only in there if he's even in an all time starting lineup. It's because he, of longevity, not because of anything else. Um, he would be an alternate, <laughs> probably. So they'll play. We have not mentioned this. They'll play Winnipeg on Thursday, Colorado Saturday, Edmonton Monday, at Chicago Wednesday. So we'll talk to you guys after that. But there's a chance with it being Winnipeg, Colorado, and Edmonton that. This is a six-game losing streak, and then we're having a very different conversation next week. So just keep an eye on that. Last but not least, Alexander Ovechkin, hat trick, 800 goals. And if you want a fun exercise, look at Gordie Howe's year-by-year statistics. (laughs) Uh, Gretzky has like, what, 894 all-time goal scoring. So Ovi's like two seasons away, maybe three, if he can play that long. Gordie Howe has 801 goals. Ovechkin has 800. They're the only three players in history to do that. We are witnessing history. We've watched one of the greatest, if not the greatest goal scorer of all time playing, and he's going to pass Gordie Howe in the next day or two, and then he's going to try to track down Gretzky. And I don't really have anything to say other than just, holy cow, and then go look at Gordie Howe's playing in the NHL at like 52 years old. Like he took like an eight-year break where he's playing in like another league, but he, he played full career until he was like, 42 or three or something like that. Then he took a little break and came back and played a season for, I believe the Hartford Whalers in like 1980. His career is like 49 to 80, dude. (laughs) Like it's no one's ever, I've never seen anything like it on a, on like, you know, hockey reference. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. And I know about Gordie Howe. I just go, go have fun with the, with that statistic there for a second. It's 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 crazy because before COVID, before the, the, the shortened seasons and stuff, Alex Ovechkin, I think 32 goals was the fewest goals he ever scored in a season. And unbelievable COVID. That would be like if if a Predators forward scored 33 goals, like we'd be doing backflips here in the, in the city. But at 52 goals as a rookie follows it up at 46, then yep. 65, 56. Like the amount of 50 goal seasons this guy's had, nuts. And he, he he doesn't even look like he's slowing down. He had 50 goals and 90 points last year, and he's what 37 ish. I mean, two more yeah, he's, seasons. He's, 30, he's 37. If he can get to 40 goals, two more seasons, uh, on top of this one, he could he could touch Gretzky, and that is not something... Oh, I, I think, think he'll absolutely pass him. I, I, I could see Alex Ovechkin playing into his mid-40s. I, I, if you would have told like 12-year-old me playing NHL 94 on Sega Genesis with, with, the, with the New York Rangers that somebody would ever come close to touching Wayne Gretzky's records, I would have told you you were batshit crazy. So yeah. uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. Just enjoy it. That's all. Same thing with Yossi. Like, just enjoy it. There's not a lot else to enjoy with this team right now. Just enjoy <laughs> Yossi chasing it down and getting the record. Enjoy OB. Um, What's funny is there, don't there tweet, was a, there don't was tweet a time. mean stuff to women. You know, like, it's not that hard to do this stuff. So There was a time when it was an actual debate of whether who was a better player, Alex Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby. And I think we have the answer to that now. He'd probably be pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, but he's not touching any of Gretzky's records. Yeah, but who's but who's really better, Messi or Ronaldo? It's clearly Messi. Uh, all right, make sure you check out uh, Michael's work, of course, on the scene in the post at MG Sports underscore. You can follow him there. You can get to me at Braden Gall. It's been a long episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. Rate, review, subscribe, support local business. The scene, the post, and Jaspers, of course. Go to Jaspers. It is a perfect place to drown your sorrows. Watch the Preds park for free. Grit, get great food. Play in a free game room and and just, you know, take an Uber home. That's all we're saying is just take the Uber home after the third or fourth beer when you watch Winnipeg or Calgary, or Winnipeg or Colorado or Edmonton score like five or six goals over the course of the next week. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you guys next week. For Michael, I'm Braden. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.